What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Recover Out Loud, episode number 68. Today, we have an awesome, super awesome, cool guest, man of many hats, Christopher Drysback. How you doing, Chris? Awesome, man. Thanks for hanging out with me. I really appreciate the invite. Well, the honor's all mine, man. The honor's all mine. So, uh, would you like to give a formal introduction of yourself? Sure, man. Well, my name is Chris Drysback, uh, CEO of Blueprints for Addiction Recovery. We're an awesome, awesome treatment center here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have, I believe, 10 sites at this point and just constantly, constantly growing because we really put a hyper focus on individualized care and really getting to each person's internal issues, making sure that the therapy matches what their issues are and sending them off to live a successful life. And I couldn't be more pumped about those things. Uh, but we also run a number of diversion programs with local law enforcement, district attorney's office, magistrates, and really a hyper focus also on keeping people out of the criminal justice system because I spent a, an unhealthy number of days incarcerated in my youth. And, you know, when I was running through active addiction and it certainly didn't do a whole lot to help me move toward recovery. So I think now and 2023 when we know a whole lot more about addiction than we did back in 2007 we have a great opportunity to divert people towards recovery instead of incarceration so uh, i'm not going to take too long on the intro because i'm sure we've got plenty to talk about over the course <laughs> of the time well no that's a beautiful intro man and and you know i think i think that what you're doing uh is super honorable um i myself being in recovery for a while um I kind of pick people up while they're in the criminal justice system and you kind of try to catch them before they get to that point. I think it's a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful work that you're doing and, and a selfless work that you're doing. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's awesome. It's just so great to be able to be a part of watching somebody's life turn around at whatever point it is, you know, if it's, pre-incarceration, post-incarceration, during incarceration. It really doesn't matter to me when yeah. you get on board. As long as you get on board and throw your hat in the ring to help other people, uh, you know, that's really my goal is to keep building this recovery army that we can go out and kind of turn the tide of this ridiculous opioid epidemic and the ridiculous addiction crisis and whatever other buzzwords you want to throw at it. It's just important to have as many people in here fighting the fight as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get into it, I'm going to tell the story about how I kind of found Chris. So I was scrolling through Facebook, right? And I mean, it was just one of them days where I was just like mindlessly scrolling. One of the people that I follow on, on Facebook, Shannon Moore, pops up. And Shannon Moore is, is, is in recovery and he's been in recovery for some time. And so I kind of I, I look at his story and what he's been through. I'm a huge professional wrestling fan, have been since I was a kid. And so I see this, this figure that I've watched on TV say, I'm clean, I'm sober, and this is what I'm doing in my program. And attached to that picture is Chris. And I was like, that's awesome. I want to hear Chris's story, <laughs> right? I want to hear what, what Chris is all about. And then, so I clicked on the profile. It's a blue check. I was like, <clears throat> okay, you don't get too many blue checks, like scrolling through Facebook, you know, and, and. Then I started seeing all the work that he's doing and, and working with, you know, some some people that I've watched on TV, Sean Waltman, you know, uh, and, and and just these polarizing figures that have come out and said, I am clean. I'm sober. I'm in recovery. I was like, wow, 
this this is astounding. So now I get you know I kind of want to shift my focus and and look at and see what Chris is doing. And you you're a man of many hats, dude. And like I said that before we we started recording, and I'll say that now. But you're a man of many hats. You got your your fingers and a little bit of everywhere, and your feet and a little bit of everywhere, man. So I want to say right now, like thank you for everything that you do for your community and for humanity as a whole. It's absolutely astounding. Man, those, those are some high words of praise, and I, I appreciate that. And, you know, like the <clears throat> the pure happenstance that occurred to kind of set me on that course. Uh, we were doing a, a weird a town hall tour over here in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is a big, awkward, rough kind of state. We have a lot of mountains in between and a lot of, a lot of forests and just... You know, it's a weird place up here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And we were doing a, an 18 city town hall tour across Pennsylvania in 2018 to really shed light and kind of raise awareness on the opioid crisis and the addiction crisis, as it was called in 2018. Yeah. And there were some areas of Pennsylvania that I didn't have too many people that I knew. And so I thought, you know, what about what about bringing somebody in uh, who has good name recognition? And I reached out to some different people and I discovered that Sean, you know, Waltman, X-Pac was in recovery. And I I reached out through his agent and his shortly after that, he called me just, you know, personally on my cell phone. And I was like, damn, you know, like this is a guy (laughs) I watched on TV as a kid. And like he he was so pumped to come out to Pennsylvania and talk to people about recovery while he was nervous. He was terrified to really open himself up on that level. And, uh, we just developed this like deep and meaningful recovery friendship, and and it stayed that way for the last you know five six years. And what a great guy! Like literally one of the nicest, most genuine, kind-hearted human beings I've ever encountered is Sean Waltman. And uh, not long after that, uh, you know, he did a, a virtual town hall tour with us in 2020 when the great coronavirus was attacking and. You know, people were really struggling with mental health and really battling to try and figure out this new world order, pun intended. And, (laughs) you know, someone jumped right in and we wanted to do a second one. And he was like, man, you got to meet my friend Shannon. Shannon's in recovery a couple of years down in Tampa. And uh, I got to know Shannon over the course of the last bunch of years. And again, just one of the most tremendously open-minded, kind-hearted dudes on earth. And it just kind of continued to burgeon from there because these guys really want to get the message out. They really want to inspire others. They really want to let people know the same thing that I want to let people know, that recovery is real. Uh, you know, treatment works. There's there's so many different things that these guys wanted to push out into the world. And it, it blew up into uh, our first night of recovery, which we did in February here in Lancaster and will at some point be released on Amazon probably in June or July so that everybody will be able to watch the the awesome night that was we had uh, we had Jesus Ricardo Rodriguez he was a, another WWE alumni uh, who actually came here to Lancaster to get sober and has stuck around and wow. just absolutely killing life man he's doing so great and there's so much to talk about even just on that front that you know we could do 10 shows on it uh, but he was he was our first speaker on that night of recovery. And then we had uh, Kurt Hussey, who wrestled in the WWE as Fandango, yeah. um, another tremendous brother in recovery, uh, just again, one of the greatest guys around. And then we also had uh, X-Pac. And one of the cool surprises of that night 
was uh, Brandon Novak showed up uh, and nice. he was one of the people who inspired Kurt to get sober through his videos and his inspirational stuff online. And it was just one of the most beautiful moments, man. And thankfully we had Baba Conda Productions, which is the shirt that I'm wearing here. Nice. They, they captured it all and, and put it together into an awesome hour and 45 minute kind of documentary piece that we're shipping off to Amazon. So really just so much exciting stuff going on. I don't even know what exactly to talk about because uh, at any given moment, there's just something new and big and exciting and, you know, something that's going to push recovery further out into the world and hopefully inspire other people to, you know, stop feeling that shame and that stigma and that pain and suffering and come join us on this good side. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, when it comes out on Amazon, I will definitely be checking that out. I will, I'll order it. I'll buy it. It will sit right there in my, in my, in my book, in my library and I'll watch it, you know, because I love watching, I love watching uh, movies and documentaries about recovery and about addiction and, and about, you know, kind of the fight that we go through uh, and, and, and kind of claw back. There's there's a movie I just recently watched. I watched it last year uh, at Rise 22. I'm, I'm part of the NADCP thing, um, the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. And uh, they showed this movie to Leslie, and I, it, it absolutely shook my shook my foundation of recovery. And, and I was like, here's a movie where they're betraying, like, what addiction looks like, right, and, and a parent. And, and so then they just put it on Netflix and I, it was scrolling through Netflix and boom, it pops up and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I sat down, I watched it again and just, it was another reminder of like where I was at, right. And, and where I'm at now, like how <laughs> bad my life was uh, and, and where I'm at now and, and how life has changed and shifted for me, even though you know, we have setbacks in life, things just if you work your program and you continue to work your program, you, you, you find the, the, what worked for you at the beginning, you can continue on this amazing life of recovery. Yeah. And there's no, there's no one clear path to recovery. That's yeah. the cool part that I'm really, as I branch out more and more and meet more and more people across the country, it's, it's so inspiring to be able to see all the different paths that lead people to the promised land, which is being able to live life successfully and really, really, really resume that vital place in your community. And, you know, I just love watching. I used to, in the early days of my recovery, one of the things that we talk about in Night of Recovery is, you know, how judgmental I was early on and how I was kind of brought into recovery with the hard, steadfast, you know, AA 12 steps, that's the only way to get sober, period. That's yeah. it. And I was one of those, you know, big book thumping, jumping off the mountaintop kind of guys that was just so excited because the yeah. spiritual revolution that I experienced as a result of the steps was so monumental to me. I wanted to share that with everybody in my youth. You know, I kind of fed into that and believed that until, uh, you know, a much wiser person than me five or six years ago, uh, a guy that I look up to and will forever, Dave Malloy, uh, he said, you know, I'm getting real sick and tired of watching our entire generation die. Maybe, maybe we're wrong about this stuff. Maybe, you know, MAT does work for some people. Maybe it keeps them alive long enough to give them that spiritual revolution. And it was yeah. such a, an epiphany for me, just a, a moment where I realized perhaps I didn't know everything about everything. Maybe I need to be open to other people's ideas and maybe I need to be open to the fact that 
what worked for me isn't going to work for every single human on earth because there's no blanket to toss over this problem. It's, it's a very individualized solution to the problem. And I'm so thankful for people who are wiser than me and I'm thankful for the ability to listen to them uh, sometimes, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, uh, something crazy before we get into it, something crazy that happened to me recently. Uh, my brother, I haven't seen him in like 12 years, 13 years. And uh, he came into town where I live. I actually, I'm not too far from you, to be honest. I live down in, in Maryland. And uh, and so he, he actually lives in Erie, Pennsylvania. That's where I originally uh, lived before my life adventures took me everywhere. Uh, he came down and, and we got to spend some time together. And my brother has been sober for 10 years now. And so him and I have tried to connect with him, you know, in the recovery portion. He really doesn't like to talk about that. But like when he showed up and he sat down and, and we started to talk, he really showed a vested interest in my recovery and what I'm doing here, what I'm doing, you know, with with uh, with other recovery programs. And it 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 made me feel good to, to see that like somebody that, and, and it's weird, I'm the older brother, but I look up to him because he, you know, <laughs> he has, he has, you know, some time and he's doing well for himself. And so I kind of look up to him and it's just really, really cool to sit there and be able to be like somebody that I look up to is now taking the time to listen to what I, you know, what I'm, I'm given and what, what, what I've been through. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's definitely an awesome story. And, you know, age is, is kind of just a number. You know, when I got into into recovery, it was 2007, and I was like 20.5 years old and always the youngest dude in the room for the longest time. And, you know, now at, at 36, I feel like a, a seasoned veteran or, a you know, and age is just a number because I'll look at some guys coming up the ranks and they're, you know, 24, 25, and they're just lighting the world on fire and there, there's something to be gleaned and something to be learned from everybody and everybody has their own unique experience. And it's just always so cool to, to hear stories like that and, and know that your brother and your relationship is better. Cause that's, yeah. that's a huge component of recovery as well. It really is. It really is. So let's get into it. What was it like for you in your active addiction? Well, that's a pretty <laughs> That's a pretty broad question. I guess it could be answered as uh, generally bad. You know, uh, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of good times kind of connecting with, with different people and, and learning, you know, uh, early stage entrepreneurial adventures with uh, dealing drugs. And, you know, there were positives to it. But I think the, the crippling loneliness, the feeling like I'm out on an island, the feeling like I can never actually connect to somebody and be comfortable in any situation really all of those things kind of meshed together to be awful. And that was even before the external consequences started, because as soon as I was no longer able to wait tables and make a little bit of money, I had to start moving into criminal ventures like uh, burglarizing houses and, and robbing people that I knew and liked. And, you know, all those terrible things, they led me to, to go to treatment for the first time when I was, you know, 18 years old. And uh, the county up here was able to send me to a like an old state hospital, one of the kind of sad uh, Medicaid detoxes, if you will. And yeah. I was 18 years old and for the first time separated from the only thing that made me feel comfortable. And it was terrifying. It was awful. Uh, I felt terrible. I don't know if you ever, you know, detoxed off of heroin, but it's rather unpleasant. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I've heard. So I've heard. 
when I was there, yeah, I really like, I, I wanted to get better, but I don't know that I even thought it was a, a reality or possible uh, because like drugs made me feel really, really good. And I couldn't imagine that anything else was going to make me feel that way. And when I got out of that, that detox, I left AMA, of course, against their advice. And uh, I thought I could give it a good old college try and get out, get a job, work a lot of hours, get back with my girlfriend. The world would work perfectly. And uh, it didn't work that way. You know, I had yeah. a good plan. Uh, <laughs> my ability to follow through with that plan did not exist, though. So I relapsed very quickly. And. Uh, you know, within a short amount of time, I was again burglarizing houses and I was again, you know, just doing unsavory things to make sure that I could obtain $10 to get another bag. And eventually I got arrested on felony burglary charges and tossed into Lehigh County Prison for the first mm -hmm. time in got 2005 or six or whatever year that was. And, you know, the first couple of things I learned when I got into jail was uh, how to hate law enforcement, how to be a better burglar. You know, I really yeah. didn't get too much other than that. I wasn't corrected when I got out of there, but I did spend that 120 or however many days it was that first go round thinking about how I could keep myself okay when I left, because I certainly didn't want to be tossed into a cage again. I certainly didn't want to have to wear county underpants ever again. I certainly didn't want to have to, you know, eat three awful meals daily and, and just be warehoused. So I really, really wanted to put an effort into how I could stay sober when I got out of this jail. And I got out and within hours, I was back, you know, high in a, in a bathroom somewhere in Allentown. And it didn't make a lot of sense because I was physically sober for the preceding however many days it was. And I just couldn't, couldn't figure out what was going on. And this was even before, you know, science figured out the brain disease of addiction was an actual thing. This was, yeah. you know, in the archaic days of recovery, if you will. Nobody could really put a finger on it. So I got out, I had a parole officer. The parole officer didn't like that I had already relapsed. So he gave me a seven day, uh, you know, window to clean up. And I mathematics immediately started and I knew I had four days to keep going and I had to stop. And when I had to stop, I discovered that I couldn't. I just couldn't stop. I physically could not. I knew what consequences were coming down the pike at me, but I could not stop. And eventually, um, instead of submitting to the PO and going to jail again, I took uh, other people's stuff to the pawn shop, grabbed my girlfriend, and we took off to North Carolina. And because <laughs> I wasn't going back to jail, you know, no part yeah. of me wants to do that, but I can't seem to stop doing the thing that's going to send me there. And the funny part is within 10 days of leaving, I got arrested in Buffalo, New York. And if you know anything about American geography, North Carolina's south yeah. of here, and Buffalo yeah. north. So it was a real interesting, fun, fun story filled with horrific stuff and a lot of negativity. Uh, but eventually I got arrested in Buffalo and I spent, you know, 10 days in jail there until they shipped me back here. Probably had the most horrific detox experience of my entire life. Uh, you know, it was a very overcrowded jail in Buffalo in 2006. And they had about 110 of us kind of thrown on those boats in the gymnasium. And we had one bathroom to share with one toilet and one sink and zero showers for the first six days. Wow. And I'm talking horrific vomit everywhere, defecating in our pants, uh, urinating on ourselves and living in the filth for day upon day upon day. And I thought to myself, like, this is so horrific that I should be able to muster up the willpower to possibly keep myself sober when this is all over. Cause I never want to experience this again. 
but what happened is I got shipped back to Allentown. I got, you know, to meet my judge again. And the judge says, Chris, you know, you're 20. This ain't working out too well. Uh, I was probably 19 at the time. Uh, you're 19. This ain't working out too well. You were on parole. You got charges in North Carolina. You got charges in Buffalo. Uh, you're an idiot, probably, basically, is what he said. Uh, but I'm going to send you to treatment when you're done. A real progressive judge in 2006. God bless that man because, you know, he kept giving me chance after chance after chance. And so instead of uh, sending me to a, a treatment center that would give me proper treatment or therapy, they sent me to this uh, this place that I won't name here, although I've named it plenty of times before. Uh, yeah. It's a place that's still operating, but it's a therapeutic community. And I don't know if you're too familiar with therapeutic communities, but they really focus on your behavior. Yeah. And so for 30 days after I spent, you know, 10, 11 months in jail, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to listen like nerd in the front row. I'm doing everything I can to kind of glean whatever information I can to keep myself sober when I leave because I don't want to experience this again. I don't want to continue living this way. But the place was telling me stuff like keep your shirt tucked in. And when you do something wrong, sit in the corner and wear a dunce cap for 24 hours with no bathroom breaks or, you know, sit in a room alone for 24 hours. And then just the most silly stuff like sing in front of people to embarrass you. And I'm not sure how Man. that's supposed to fix anybody, but yeah. I bought in. I believed it. I wanted to do better. I wanted to be better. And I left that place and about 20 hours later, I was, you know, back in the same situation I was before, but this time it wasn't really working the way it was. The drugs weren't producing the effect that they once did. And it really started the 60 day period of my life where there was just no hope on the horizon. None, not even a little yeah. bit. I had two POs at that point. doesn't even make sense. They just didn't want me to leave again. I don't, who knows? And I started dipping in and out of psych wards and dipping in and out of, you know, uh, suboxone clinics, methadone, anything I could do to avoid the PO. I was running around homeless, doing just terrible things, living in parks, uh, eating out of dumpsters and, and just trying to survive until I finally mercifully got arrested again on August 27, 2007. And that to this day uh, remains my recovery date or sobriety date or however you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and that was it. You know, I didn't slide into recovery like, yeah, this is my idea and everything's going to work out. It was more of a, I got arrested and tossed back in a cage again and kind of still thinking I'm on this vicious cycle where I'm going to go to jail. They might send me to rehab. I'll fail. I'll come back out, fail again, go back to jail and forever and ever ad infinitum till the end of time is kind of how I felt it was going to be. And thankfully, very contrary to my plans the end result was quite different. And I started to just see this train of circumstances exist and push me towards recovery and push me towards this life that I've been able to live for the last 16 years. And uh, so that would be my quick rundown of what it was like in active addiction. Hopefully that was uh, serviceable enough for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's your story. You know, uh, that that's, that's rough. You know, you were, you were, you were talking about, you know, uh, that, that will no that, that want to, to, to get clean and get sober, uh, just the inability to, and I can't tell you how many times I've been there. I'm just like, I don't want to drink. Right. <laughs> like I don't want to drink but I can't stop. And it's one of the most demoralizing things. And it's something that's almost inconceivable to a lot of people who don't struggle with substance use disorder or mental illness 
is to just so strongly want something but have no ability to make it happen. It's a very powerless, uh, you know, mind-boggling situation, especially for people who've never felt it because we, as folks with substance use disorder, are really capable in so many areas of our lives and we can do so many impressive things that are unbelievable. But with regard to this one thing, this substance of choice or whatever you want to call it, like we are totally powerless have absolutely no ability to put one and two together to make three we put one and two together and make like 39 (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely you know and 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 i'm i'm glad that you brought that up the the powerlessness and you know um for the normies that that you know listen in you know i i can't tell you how many times i've said i've i i wish i was normal right like I wish I could go out to dinner and just have a beer, but I know I can't, right? Like I go to dinner and I'm going to have a beer. Like, dude, I'm going to go have a beer and then try and drink the the rest of the bar out, right? Like that's who I am. I can't stop it. So like instead of, instead of getting to that point, right, where I, where that's, that's an option, um, you know, I, I just lean on my recovery skills and I'm glad that you pointed that out, right? We, we, there, there's that something missing that, that moderation that, that, Substance use disorder is, is is nasty, very nasty. Yeah, and you think you know there have definitely been times in my life where I thought, oh man, like I wish I was a normal person and I could go do X, Y, or Z. But the more and more days that go by, and the more and more things that I get to experience and the things that I get to see, I really am so thankful for the struggles. And I'm so thankful to have been saddled, if you will, with substance use disorder, because if I wasn't, what would, you know, I wouldn't be doing any of the things I'm doing today if I didn't have that. And I think it's also pretty cool to talk about the fact that we're able to live two totally different lives. You know, the first life that I lived, I was a little bit of a miscreant, you know, I was a guy who could not be trusted, a guy who would have stolen your change jar before anything. And and that was me. You know, now with proper treatment and recovery, I'm very trustworthy. There are people who trust me all over the place to do all all manner of different things. And like, it's, it's a completely different world from what it used to be. So I think the benefit outweighs the negative in most cases. Now that might not be the case for everybody, but that is the case for me. I very much am thankful. Uh, for having substance use disorder and very thankful for having had the opportunity to climb out of that hole and then reach back in for as many other of our brothers and sisters and neighbors as we could pull out. Yeah. I'm uh, much like you. I'm I'm grateful for it because I I get to do things that had I not had this, I never would have been able to do. I I get to experience things that I've never experienced before. I was one of those people that, without a substance, I would stay in my shell. Right. And now like I'm completely out of my shell. I stepped out of my, out of my comfort zone in order to be uncomfortable and in order to talk to people. Right. Like I couldn't, if, if, if this was me prior to like getting in recovery, I wouldn't be able to talk to you right now. I would just be like, Oh my God, like he's going to judge me. It's not about that. I don't care. <laughs> you know, uh, what, what it's about, it's about that making that human connection experience in those things, even sometimes when they're not pleasant. Yeah. Oftentimes not pleasant, but it's 
still an experience. And you're right. I mean, you really are stepping out. The thing above our heads says recover out loud. And I, I truly do believe that that is the best way to do it. Um, at least for me where you're, I'm totally comfortable with everything that's happened in my life. And I'm very okay with sharing it, even the awkward, uncomfortable, funny, terrible, all of those moments, you know, and I do know a good number of people who have jobs and have different things in their lives where they're not comfortable talking about that. So I think it's a little bit more on our shoulders to step up and be a little louder for them because they're not able to be, but a lot of them definitely want to be able to. So I'm just thankful that you're doing this, Sean. This is an awesome thing, man. And I'm, I'm proud of you for it. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, moving forward, uh, you, you get incarcerated and that last time you say, this is it. No more. Right. Well, what weirdly, happens after? Weirdly, that time I didn't say this is it. No more. No? I just kind of, I believed that I was on the vicious cycle. And I, I just kind of knew that no matter what effort I threw in or what I tried, it was going to be a failure. So I was in like opposite surrender mode. I was kind of like just given up to the fact that I was a failure and I was never going to amount to much. I kind of like bought in to what everybody had been saying. And uh, what happened is I went to jail again. They kept me there for a few more months. And the judge said, dude, you're 20. You know, I'm going to send you to treatment. And I was like, yeah, that's going to work real well. It worked before. You know? <laughs> but I went because I didn't like sitting in jail. So they sent me to this place called Bowling Green down on the, uh, the border of uh, Philadelphia, or, uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware and Maryland right down there in that weird little corner. And uh, I went down there. I didn't believe anything was going to change. I sat right in the middle and I listened to all the groups and all the lectures. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go back downtown, give it a good old college try again. And uh, you know, I, I firmly believe that if I tried the same old thing, I'd get a different result. It's a, a real common thread here in recovery, yeah. <laughs> or pre-recovery, yeah. if you will. And what happened is I, I had a counselor, uh, this awesome hippie dude named Bernard, and he was way smarter than me, still is way smarter than me to this day. Uh, just a, a great, gentle, kind human being. He was like, man, you know, you're off the rails here. Like, let's let's send you to a halfway house afterwards. And I was like, nah, you know, that's only for loser homeless people. That's not me. I'm going to go back downtown. Except for I was that guy, just not in my mind. And yeah. uh, thankfully, the PO and him collectively, uh, you know, shoved me to Lancaster, where I have lived ever since. And <laughs> they sent me to the gatehouse, a halfway house up here. And what they gave me at the gatehouse was huge. It was an opportunity to get in with a recovery community, to get in with a network. And thankfully in Lancaster at the time, there were like five or six dudes who were just young in their early twenties and fired up about recovery and fired up about life. And they took me under their wing and they showed me a different way to live. And I latched onto that thing like a, like a dying man on the Titanic. Like I was, I was so all the way in, as soon as I started to feel the results of the work that I was getting and I mean, just night and day, I would never be able to sleep at night before. And I suddenly found myself saying a prayer and hitting my pillow and going to sleep. And I, I was never able to be in a social setting and talk to people comfortably. And I started to realize I was you know, going out and talking to people and being comfortable. And I started to realize that I was no longer as selfish as I previously was. I would call my mom and not ask her for cigarettes. I would call her and ask her how her day was going. <laughs> Like all these little tiny things just started to accumulate until I was almost like 
tricked into like believing that I was sober and I was okay. And I was moving down this path of recovery. I got a job waiting tables at a diner and I showed up there every single day and I didn't throw up in any trash cans and I didn't disappear, you know, before my shift was over. Like I was night and day, 180 degree complete turnaround. And man, like there's just so many beautiful things that kind of sprouted from that little seed of just getting shoved here against my will. And I really still to this day believe that all the good things that happen in my life are contrary to my plan and contrary to where I want to go. Because every single time I just go with the flow and let the universe put me where it wants me, beautiful results occur each and every time. But every time I direct the game and I push for something, it's, it's a failure every single time. So um, yeah, man, there's just, perception is everything and recovery is so beautiful absolutely what was that first moment that that you noticed that there was a change like like things aren't the way that they used to be i I don't know that i could really pinpoint like one dead-on huge wow moment it was just a a collection of of days that kept going by and I, i realized that that stuff was slowly slipping away and it wasn't I don't know that I had a huge aha moment I think like uh, my my one little brother John uh, he's two years younger than me and you know we had a pretty fractured relationship at best because all the change jars I stole and all the times I mistreated him and you know when I was in that halfway house he sent me uh like mix cds which definitely ages me a little bit (laughs) from my Grateful Dead mix CDs. And I don't remember exactly what the letter that he wrote me said, but it was like, you know, I I don't like you still, but you shouldn't be without music or just some silly thing. And like that kind of opened up the relationship rebuild with him, you know, through the, through the ninth step and amends. And we have a pretty decent relationship uh, nowadays. And, you know, he has kids, I have kids. We, still get together and and do things but you know we wouldn't have been able to do that before because i was so selfish and so wrapped up in my own world that i couldn't even possibly think of somebody else so i think just those collections of moments kind of catch up and become beautiful things so i don't really have a a, an aha moment or a huge wake-up spot but there's just a lot of little moments that definitely resonate yeah yeah, I think, you know, uh, I, I know a lot of people, some some have that like defining moment, other people have, like you said, a collection of things that kind of just build and, and compound on, to, on their recovery and kind of solidify like why they're, they're where they are. So that's pretty awesome. Um, one, o- one other thing that, uh, one other question that, that I had was, um, when when you started interacting with people that you used to be associated with outside of you know prior to getting into, into recovery did the people start noticing the change or was it kind of weird interacting with them right off the bat i mean i'd, I'd moved an hour and changed south of, of where i was from you know so i was from allentown pennsylvania moved to lancaster not a huge yeah. huge difference but geographically it made a lot of sense to be able to start over away from everything, the wreckage that I had left behind, uh, be able to regroup down here and then go back and start to pay those things back and repair those damaged relationships. And uh, as far as that goes, you know, the first guy that ever shot me up with a needle taught me how to shoot up. His name was Jake. 
and he came down here, really one of my best friends. I mean, just a guy that I loved more than anything in the world. And in 2012 or 13, he came down here to Lancaster to get sober. So like, I think very rapidly, uh, I was able to turn, you know, all that negativity into some positivity. And I don't think it was stuff that I did. I think it just kind of occurred naturally as a result of living the right way. People start to see that people start to feel that authenticity. And, uh, you know, Jake came down here and we got to hang out for three years or so. And, you know, he relapsed a time or two or three in between, but he always kept fighting and kept struggling and kept coming back and trying again. And eventually, uh, I think 2018, 19, 20, one of those years in there, uh, Jake went away to a, a Christian camp for about nine months, or 10 months, and he came back and uh, relapsed shortly thereafter and died of an overdose. So, hmm. uh, you know, you know, just tragedies everywhere lately yeah. in recovery. I'm so thankful that I got sober in 2007 because if I was running the streets like I was then with the drugs that exist now, there's no chance that I would have survived. And, oh, absolutely. you know, we got to keep the memory of all of our fallen neighbors and brothers and friends yeah. alive because there's so many of us right now that are out there struggling that can jump to the side of recovery at any given moment. But if they don't, they, they might end up dead too. And I can't even, I don't want to go into the darkness or anything here, but yeah. uh, definitely want to keep it light. Yeah, it's, a, it's a very serious issue here. And um, I think the people that I used to associate with, a lot of them did see, probably not super quickly, but over the course of time, they did see that there was a change and it was a measurable change and it became a tool uh, to help other people hopefully go towards recovery at the very least. Absolutely. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry for your loss, man. That's hard. You know, it happens. And even that has turned into a, a beautiful thing as well, because his two daughters that he left behind uh, every single year, we have a, a volleyball tournament up here in Lancaster wow. County where we raise money for kids who lost their parents to overdose. And wow. we were able to add Jayla and Riley into that volleyball tournament, who are Jake's two incredible daughters. And, uh, you know, the next one's coming up August 26th. If you want to make a ride, you want to make a ride up here. Uh, get involved with a beautiful day with a whole bunch of people showing up to show the kids that we care about them. We remember their parents and we're in their corner and we love them. And Absolutely. Just those beautiful community days. It's like my Super Bowl every year. I get so excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I think that sounds like a plan. I've been looking for some sober activities to do while I'm, while I'm down here. Uh, I just moved down here about six months ago. So yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, moving forward, when did you start giving back to the community? Probably, uh, probably begrudgingly right away. Cause I, I had a sponsor who like was real big on, on giving back and real big on being selfless and, and pushing and, and really doing things. So, uh, you know, real early on, even before I was bought into the recovery idea, he gave me these practical little ideas of how I could crush out my selfishness and the first one of which was he told me to go uh, fold another dude's laundry at the halfway house and not say oh. that I did just do it for him and that's it. And then I, you know, begrudgingly did that. I don't even fold my own laundry. But this dude had me like, folding another guy's laundry and he had me report back to him. And like the next day he gave me another silly task, like pick another dude, the guy who you dislike the most, 
do his chore for him and don't say anything about it. You know, and I'm like, man, this guy is insane. Where's he coming up with these ideas? This is terrible. Why would I do that? And over the course of a couple of weeks of doing menial tasks for the benefit of others, he was like, man, how, how often were you thinking about yourself while you were doing that? You know, how often were you, what was this? And he kind of illustrated the benefit of doing things for other people. And, yeah. you know, begrudgingly, I did it at first, but I started to recognize that, like, the more I did for other people, the more positive I became, the more positive they became, the more good things arose out of that positivity, even though I thought it was stupid and negative and, and whatever. That's just my perception on the situation. So I think uh, being of service re really helped to shift and flip that awful perception that I was plagued with. Um, but really in like the, the bigger capacity in 2010, I opened a new life sober living here in Lancaster, the first uh, sober living community that we had. And, uh, you know, we started with one house that I, that I rented uh, with all the money I had made at the, the diner that I worked at. And we developed a pretty comprehensive 64-point guideline plan for guys who were real new in recovery to kind of help them push forward. And it blew up to the point where we ended up with 12 or 13 houses and 150 wow. beds. And, I mean, just so many people were finding success with this this new housing thing and it really sparked my love for business my love for helping others my love for all these other things that really sprouted and grew from all these things that i did begrudgingly and against my will so again kind of pushing back to everything good that happens is contrary to my plan yeah absolutely wow that's that's amazing man it is and it, it really just goes to prove that like anybody can do anything because i'm not that special you know i just did stuff I didn't want to do over and over and over again until it became <laughs> something I loved doing. And then I was able to latch onto it and, and really keep building more and more lives for more and more people and watch communities grow around those little acts. And yeah. I can't tell you the number of people who've been sober 10, 12, 13, 14 years because of stuff that I set in motion back then. It, it continues to happen to this day over and over and over with blueprints and all the other different things that we have going on. So, you know, I always urge people to uh, step out and get uncomfortable and do those things that you don't feel like doing, even if they don't make that much sense, because they can make sense at some point. I promise. Absolutely. Just for a moment, before we move on for a moment, just think about the lives that you've impacted, right? And then the lives that those people have impacted. And then those people have impacted. You've had a very, very massive reach in this recovery community, man. That's that's astounding. Yeah, that, I don't. I don't usually spend too much time reflecting on it, but like it, it's so real. And and not to like boost myself, it's to boost them and watch yeah. them boost other people is some of the most inspiring, awesome anything i can't even tell you how cool it is to hear just people's stories of success and even uh, two weeks ago something like that i had a, a business meeting at a restaurant over here at the mall and we were talking uh, you know about real estate and other things that that i really like and we were standing out in the parking lot and uh, this guy came running across the parking lot towards me and i was like oh cool you know am i about to get shot what's gonna happen <laughs> He said, man, like I'm out here having lunch with my mom and grandma for the first time in, in 
three years or whatever it was. And he's like, thank you so much just for like having blueprints and being a part of the recovery community. And like, I got to meet this kid's mom and grandma. I'd never seen him before in my entire life. And that whole thing just shot my day right up to the moon. I was so excited to meet grandma. I was so excited to meet mom. And they were so excited to meet me. And they were so happy to be with their son. And just like, how can you not love the recovery world? How could you not want to be involved in changing people's lives on that level? I'm going to get, you know, teary eyed thinking about it because that mom and grandma had their son and their grandson back because of something we set in motion, you know, and it's not just me. There's 150 employees at Blueprints that do absolute knock it out of the park work every single day. I have very little to do with the awesomeness that they create in other people's lives. But just to have a tiny, tiny hand in it produces beautiful moments like that. And I can tell you hundreds of them just from different periods. But I thought that one was a, a pretty cool recent experience that that really illustrates the impact that any little move you make can have the ripple effect can go so far. Absolutely. That that's, that is amazing. That that's pretty awesome. So when did you start doing the, uh, the night of recovery? I know you'd mentioned that you start, it started roughly 2018. Well, we did, we did the town hall tour in 2018. And it was like, it was a crazy idea to just, uh, book little you know um, the heck where they like uh, fire halls and vfws and and just places around pennsylvania and really get to meet the community and step out and and just do stuff out loud because in 2018 there weren't too many people doing loud weird town halls and, and bringing you know uh, random people in and we had really thrilling thrilling speakers like uh, Paul Fletcher. I don't know if you ever got to meet that guy. He used to pitch for the Phillies and the Oakland A's. Uh, and he's just a warrior out here in recovery doing great things. And West Virginia is where he's at right now. But he came up and spoke at, you know, six or seven of the town halls. And uh, we had a guy, Mike Miz, who used to live up in Wilkes-Barre and moved to Nashville. Uh, he's got a record contract, just a great musician. He was part of the town halls and I think those ideas moved towards the virtual town halls that then kind of moved towards the night of recovery and night of recovery one we did here in Lancaster in February that we were talking about. And then we just did another one in Philadelphia, which I believe where you kind of found out about us because Shannon came up and, you know, we were hanging out in Kensington and seeing what kind of light we could bring with the nonprofit, uh, the grace project that does tremendous work down there. And, um, yeah, man, I think just like every good thing you do compounds and builds on top of each other uh, to have more and more great and beautiful things. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's that's pretty awesome. You know, I, I, I honestly can say I have not seen anybody do the whole town halls for recovery. You know, <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty crazy, you know, especially in VFWs and American Legions and fire stations, dude, like no joke. That's not I've never seen that happen. And that's that's where like some of the root of, of the addiction starts. Right. And so to be able to like hold ground in those places, that's that's awesome. Yeah. And we had so many family members and community members and just people who were interested in hearing about the opioid crisis or the addiction crisis or just how it was impacting their neighborhoods and their families who just came out and wanted information. We had tables with, uh, you know, local treatment centers, local nonprofits, local 
advocacy groups and they were all invited all inclusive no no fees no nothing everything was totally free we funded the entire tour and it was uh i mean it was awesome it produced so many results to the tune of you know friends i still have to this day six years later and, and people who are still doing incredible work in their own individual communities as a result of what we started so uh, we're hopeful that the night of recoveries can become a, a thing nationwide you know something where uh, we can definitely go out and set them up and, and really bring recovery communities together bring people into those communities and then hopefully inspire as many humans as possible absolutely absolutely man you are You've done some astounding work. <laughs> man, of many, man of many hats is like, is, that's, that doesn't tip, touch the tip of the iceberg. You know, you, you, you got your hand in so much more. And then like one of the other things that I seen was that you were out there, uh, you know, with the homeless and, and, and given and, and, and uh, you know, given to the homeless and spending time with the homeless. And good God, I, I used to live in Alaska and I didn't realize like the homeless population in Alaska in Anchorage, Alaska. And, it wasn't until I got to recovery that, and, and I started working for a clinic that I really stepped out and I, I was like, oh my God, like there's so many homeless people that are, that are suffering from addiction. And, you know, it, it's not just, it's not just enough to suffer from homelessness or houselessness. Then you've got the addiction portion the mental health crisis. And, and, and it's just, there's so much compounded into one individual on, in, in that circumstance. Yeah, and, and homelessness is so multifold. Uh, it's a, it really it takes an entire multidisciplinary team to even begin to crack the surface of a lot of the issues that create homelessness and severe mental illness, substance use disorder, things of that nature are definitely part of it. But the lack of affordable housing, gentrification. Uh, so many different things kind of chase so many people into that unhoused space that. It is really, really important to put a hyper focus on that with community medicine and, you know, partnering with hospitals to have, uh, you know, street doctors and people available to really just assist people with the resources that they need to move out of uh, being in house. You know, that's the thing that we work on up here in the Lancaster County uh, Homelessness Coalition. I sit on the board for the Lancaster County Food Hub, which is an awesome place that does food clothing and shelter for people who need it and uh, you know the thing that we did down in Kensington working with the Grace Project uh, was specifically a part of their outreach down in that area of Philadelphia that they do every single week um, but yeah man there's there's never a shortage of things you can do to benefit your neighborhood and your community and you know we just like to step out into other communities and help support as many people as we possibly can with whatever platform we can Absolutely. You know, it broke my heart. Absolutely broke my heart when I live in Alaska. They talk about the homeless crisis, right? And they talk about how, how so bad and it's affecting everybody. And so legislators decide to uh, build uh, kind of like a, a temporary homeless shelter with all-inclusive uh, uh, treatment centers, uh, all kinds of resources in, in, the big, in the big civic center in town. And then people complained that, you know, they're using it. And they said, okay, well, we can put them in these neighborhoods. No, because they're too close to our neighborhoods. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking. There's this, this epidemic that's happening that people are, are watching happen in front of their eyes. 
And then it becomes a problem when you actually start to do something about it and, and change the scenario. Is that something that you've encountered? Oh man, absolutely. I mean, the, the not in my backyard syndrome is a thing that plagues most of America, I would believe. And it's probably because, you know, if I've never encountered the issue, it's scary. You know, not knowing is scary for most people. And most people aren't educated on the fact that most folks who are unhoused are really, really, really just good people who are struggling with different things. And uh, same with addiction, same with substance use disorder, same with most mental illnesses. You know, they're not bad people. They're just people who are struggling, people who need additional resources, people who need additional help. And that fear, that societal fear, there's so many different fears that cause not in my backyard syndrome. And if only everybody would stop long enough to look into what they could do to help, I think that fear would disappear real quickly. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a long time. So we're not dealing with not in my backyard syndrome, because when you bring something scary close to you, uh, you know, it, it will always cause a stir. And we had a, the first time up here in a town that we brought a recovery house, um, that was kind of lambasted in the local media. And they were like, Oh, you know, he's bringing drug addicts here. Why doesn't he move them next to his house? And it turned out that my, my house is attached to another house that I already do use for that. So <laughs> people were able to point out that I actually already did uh, move folks in, in recovery from substance use disorder right next to me. And I would do it anyway because I know people who are struggling with substance use disorder are good people and they deserve to have the same access to resources as everybody else. So uh, it's just a you know, a thing we're going to contend with for a really long time in homelessness, really long time in substance use disorder. But I can tell you, we've come a long, long way since 2007. And yeah. we've still got a long, long way to go till we fix it. But I'm not going to stop talking about it. It doesn't look like you're going to stop talking about it. And hopefully a whole bunch of other people jump on board with us and keep talking about it too. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to stop talking about it. There's you know, uh, re recovery has changed my life. You know, it gave me purpose. Um, it, uh, it, it gave me my relationship with my kid back, you know, uh, I don't get choked up on my own show and I'm doing it now, you know, um, it gave me my relationship with my kid back. It gave me my, my life back. It gave me a new life, something I never had before, you know, um, life that was much more better served purpose. I, I spent 12 and a half years in the army and I learned my addiction in the army. Right. And so like a lot of that time was me spent like feeding that monster that was inside of me. And then when I got out, I had no way to alleviate that anger and that stress and that all of it. And so I just self-destructed. And when I got to this point of recovery where it was, it was either recover or go to jail, lose it all, lose it all or, or, or do something about it and take, take recovery in your own hands and work your program. I, I, I saw no other option because if if I stay in jail, I'm gonna go to I'm, I'm gonna die, right? Like I'm gonna it's gonna happen. And so I decided to take recovery and and you know nose to the grindstone, and my life has been significantly better. There's there's been ups and downs. There's reasons why I'm here in Maryland versus in Alaska now, right? But like that's a part a part of my recovery journey. That's that took me from one region of of the country to this whole another region where. I, I have my family, but I don't know anybody. And so like getting out of that comfortable zone, you know, recovery, recovery for me, I, I, I can't shut up about it. You know, um, 
when I meet new people, I, I, I tell people, hey, it might be a red flag for you, but it's my greatest victory in my life. I'm in recovery. I met my girlfriend and I said, the first thing I said to her was, hey, um, just let you know I'm in recovery. And you know what her first words were? Red flag. And I said, why is it a red flag? And she said, because my ex was in recovery and he relapsed. And I said, well, here, let me, let me explain my program to you. Let me educate you. And she was like, wow, that's crazy. You know, not to boost myself up, but um, like, like you said, but my, my recovery has led me down a path that I just can't imagine. And I'm pretty sure the same thing for you. You step back, you know, if you were to step back to that, that 18, 19 year old kid back in the day, looking back, you looking forward, you'd probably be like, there's no way I could have gotten there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like what happened? Somewhere along the line, what happened? But, you know, being able to look back and for me, looking back on my life prior to this journey, I'm happy I'm alive. I'm happy I'm in such a time being able to talk to you, being able to talk to everybody that comes on that show, share the story and everything like that. So recovery, recovery changed my life. Chris, this is the first time I've ever gotten choked up on my own show talking, okay? <laughs> my bad, man. My bad. I mean, it's you're good. It's one of those things where I'm pretty sure when you watch that night of recovery on Amazon, you're going to see me get choked up a time or two because it was, it was just so beautiful being there, you know, with my friend Sean and Kurt and Jesus and, and Brandon and, you know, the 200 plus people that packed that little auditorium that night from the community and the local treatment centers and the local, you know, meetings and I mean, it was just such a powerful evening and, and it really translated onto video. So like, I can't wait for people to see it. I can't wait for Amazon to do whatever the heck it is they're doing over the next month to make it happen. But, you know, I, I'm so thrilled to be able to project that power and like, don't be ashamed to get choked up, man. I get choked up way too often when I talk about stuff because there's, there's power in it. You know, you talk about your mom, you talk about your kids, you talk about people who mean things to you think getting choked up just shows that meaning and shows that power and really uh, should also help other large bearded men, you know, <laughs> yeah. choked up and not be afraid to show emotion because that's another one of those things that kind of blocks us off from the sunlight of the spirit is fear of emotion, fear of judgment, fear of all those things. And, and let it fly. Be proud that your kid's back in your life. Be proud that you're yeah. killing it and doing well in recovery. And like, I'm, I'm just stoked to be a part of your show. Seriously. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you've been a part of the show too. So Chris, before we go, where can we find you? Man, you can find me hiding in my office in Lancaster <laughs> right now. Or, or you can find me on uh, Facebook at Christopher Dreisbach. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Chris Dreisbach. You can find me on TikTok at Christopher Dreisbach. You can find me on uh uh, ChrisDriesbach.com. You can find me on BobaConnorProductions.com. You can check out BlueprintsRecovery.com. You can check out RedRoseSportsCards.com. You can check out SOArts.com. You can check out FullServiceConcessionsGroup.com. You can check out so many different things in so many different places. Uh, you can check out Night of Recovery on Amazon next month. And, and there's just so many different ways. But if you're watching this thing, reach out to me on any of those social platforms. You can ask Sean. I do respond most of the time. And, you know, <laughs> just always happy to hear great stories, see where I can lend myself to others. And, uh, you know, really just keep inspiring and, and keep living the best life ever because uh, we're living it, man. We really are. 
yeah. I want everybody else to come join us. You know, I'm before we go, I'm I, I was honestly surprised when you responded back and said, Yeah, man, let's do it. Because I, one, I don't know Chris, you know, I didn't know Chris from Adam, right? I, I met him on, on Facebook and it was kind of a, a, a click, let's throw out the line and see what happens. And then he responded, and this really the first person that I've ever reached out to that has responded. And I was like, well, that's cool. That's awesome. Right. And Chris has been busy and, and I've kind of been busy. So our schedules kind of had to mesh up perfectly and they did. Um, and so that's why, you know, we're here doing this thing. But, uh, you know, Chris, you're, you're a huge inspiration, dude. I, I just hope you know that even hearing your story now, like you're massive inspiration to me. Dude, I, I appreciate that. And those kind words, man, they mean a lot. Uh, you know, because you do get you do get judged and you do get bashed and you do get beaten by people who are, are angry with themselves or hurt in their own ways. And, you know, it, it definitely gets frustrating, especially dealing with a population of people who are struggling with a brain disease that they can't control. And, you know, when you're able to, to do something positive and really make an impact, uh, it, it feels very good. And I, I love nothing more than uh, hearing those things, man. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you and keep doing good work because it definitely resonates with people and hopefully we can help push some people towards recovery together here. Absolutely. And uh, finally, what what are, are some words from, of advice that, that you would give to somebody that is struggling uh, with addiction or mental health disorders or uh, they're at the beginning stages of their recovery and they're like, I don't know if this is for me or not? Don't give up. Just let the universe push you where it's pushing you. Don't fight it. Uh, be aware of opportunities. Be ready to take them. You never know where anything is going. If I gave up on myself in 2007, I definitely wouldn't be here. If I gave up on myself in 2010 when things got tough, who knows who wouldn't be here because of that. If I gave up on myself in 2015 because things got tough, who knows what would have happened. If I gave up on myself in 2018 when things got tough or when 2020 came around and things got real tough, you just can't give up. Don't let shame, stigma, any of those things stop you from living the best life you can. And life gets so big and so powerful and so beautiful that you won't even be able to handle it in a good way. And it's a whole lot better not being able to handle something in a good way than it is the way I used to not be able to handle things. So definitely reach out 24 hours a day. We're always here. We're always ready to help you find the resources you need. And hopefully you can come join us in this beautiful life too. So don't give up absolutely i love the message i love the message and chris thanks for being on the show thank you for sharing your story and 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 sharing what you do in the community like i said you're a massive inspiration to me thank you thanks sean i appreciate you man all right and everybody thanks for hanging out with us for just about this hour and uh and if you want to go check out and see what Chris is doing, uh, check out, you know, Night of Recovery on Amazon when it comes out. Check it out. Everything like that. And until uh, next time, I hope you guys have a good day. Much love, y'all.